Hello for lover, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. So this has been a really special project for us to be involved in. New Zealand's orchestra strikes a chord in Tonga. Also, UNICEF are calling on leaders in Solomon Islands to do better by its children. And later on... I don't think we could have pulled together a stronger squad. Tonga's netball team welcomes the addition of three accomplished players. The New Zealand Symphony Orchestra is in Tonga on its first visit to a Pacific Island nation. The touring party, comprising of 14 musicians, will participate in public performances alongside Tonga's Royal Corps of Musicians and Police Band. Fina Funua spoke with the group's conductor and principal trombonist, David Bremner. What's the purpose behind this tour? Why Tonga? Tonga obviously has had a long tradition um, with brass music um, musicians. We um, we wanted to sort of connect with that, and I've been to Tonga six or seven times teaching and performing over there. So this was a, a opportunity to take a larger group to go over and collaborate with the brass and percussion musicians in Tonga and work alongside them and and play with them and and in any way we can um, help with sharing information and um, motivation. And so we were very keen to to sort of be part of their musical journey. Um, and so this has been a really special project for us to be involved in. Um, so we're taking over uh, 12 musicians from the orchestra, 10 brass and two percussion, and we'll be there for a week uh, doing workshops and, and concerts. So it's a very exciting tour. You mentioned you lived in, you worked in Tonga? Yeah, I've been over quite a few times uh, going and teaching uh, and doing concerts with the the Ami Band and the Police Band and um, various other. I've been up to Bavao uh, and worked with Maila Fihi Band up there and uh, and a lot of the bands in uh, Tonga Tapu. Um, so so uh, for me, it's a uh, it's another experience in Tonga, and for everyone else that's travelling with us from the orchestra, it's their first time in Tonga, uh, and I know they're going to have uh, you know just a, an extraordinarily enriching and exciting time there. Brass music, it's part of the culture in Tonga. You kind of yeah. find it everywhere, every village, every church. Yes. Could you describe for our audience that that tradition, that custom? I think. In a lot of places around the world where you travel where there's brass music, it's um, um, it, there's a certain aspect of it which is um, it, it loses sometimes. It loses some fun aspect to it because it's more about uh, the music you play. It's more about the the refinement of what they're doing. Whereas I find in Tonga, there's just this love and joy for music and and for singing and for brass playing. And whether that's at a school and hearing a school brass band or whether it's in the church and hearing the church brass, um, there's just such a, an incredible um, joy of being able to perform music. And I think that's something you know that we're going to learn while we're there that we will hopefully bring back to New Zealand and all the musicians of the NZSO will bring back this and hopefully it will rub, on, rub off on all of us, this idea that you know, that it's such a joy and a privilege to be able to play music. And I think every time I've been to Tonga, I've felt that in, in every aspect of the music there. It's just, uh, it's, it's very infectious and, and I just love it. Uh, it's just incredible.
uh, last question. Yeah. Uh, you're hosting workshops over there? Yes. Could you um, expand on that? Yeah, so we're going to be going into, I think, 12 schools um, across the, the main island, and we're going to be doing um, sort of workshops where we talk about um, aspects of brass playing and percussion playing, so technical things that we work on. Um, and then we're going to, of course, play some music as well. So we play a, a bunch of different music from classical right through to sort of uh, uh, upbeat uh, New Orleans jazz uh, and and just talk about some of the experiences and the things that we do um, to, to to work on our playing. Um, so we'll be doing that in the workshops as, as well as the concerts that we're performing uh, in the evenings, which will be very exciting. Are international tours a regular thing for the, the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra? So this is the first tour in a while for us overseas, and I think it's just vitally important because, um, you know, we have such a strong connection with um, the Pacific Islands, uh, you know, like Samoa and Tonga and Cook Islands and Fiji, and, and even the NZSO last year did a concert with a combined choir of singers from all those um, different countries, and it was just so incredible, the experience for the orchestra. So I feel this is a really vital cog in the NZSO's life to be able to connect and um, and be part of their musical journey, um, and I think that's going to be something that's very special for us, and I hopefully for the audiences and the schools that we um, work with and perform to over in Tonga. The United Nations Children's Agency, UNICEF, is reiterating calls for protecting children in Solomon Islands, which has one of the highest rates of violence against children in the world. Taking just one statistic as an example, the chief of UNICEF Solomon Islands Field Officer, Zelalem Tafis, says 37% of girls in the country experience sexual violence before the age of 15. Kurui Hawkins asked Mr Tafis about the challenges to protecting children's rights in Solomon Islands. Um, thank you, for Corey, for that question. Um, violence against children, and I, and I want to frame it from the perspective of violence in the broader sense, is a significant problem for our um, uh, region and, our, and in Solomon Islands. Um, there's a, a significant percentage of children that uh, grow up with uh, experiencing violence on a personal level, but also experiencing it within the family situation. Uh, and growing up with it, and which uh, and violence, uh, when children grow up with violence around them, it tends to embed a culture of continuity into generational uh, violence continuity. So uh, there is a significant need to uh, um, uh, re- cut the cycle, if you like, uh, of uh, 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 violence that happens against children, and this ha- uh, happens across multiple sectors in various forms, uh, sexual and gender-based violence, uh, sexual violence against children is prevalent. You've got violence, uh, 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 severe disciplinary measures that create uh, uh, damages to children, both physically and psychologically, they happen. Uh, in 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 the broader sense, also deprivation is a form of violence that we consider and uh, making sure that their rights are met, uh, whether it is in terms of basic services, of healthcare, education, uh, nutrition, uh, and the nurturing, loving care uh, that they should be um, uh, access in the home and, and in the community. And how how prevalent are some of these things that you've mentioned in Solomon Islands? 
Okay, so uh, the, the, I'm, I'm going to give you one of the uh, more brazen statistics, and um, you know, 37% of uh, girls experience uh, sexual violence before the age of 15, and that's a significant percentage. Uh, and more than 85% of um, children experience severe uh, discipline, severe physical punishment and discipline uh, in the home uh, on a regular basis. How does that compare to regionally and to the to the global? Picture? This is uh, regionally and globally. This is actually one of the uh, highest, and it's a significantly higher rates uh, in uh, our systems. Uh, so across the Pacific and globally, uh, this is a significant percentage of children that are uh, experiencing uh, um, uh, violence. Uh, it's much higher than the um, uh, the average globally. What is being what is being done to address this? And I guess is it is it even illegal in Solomon Islands to discipline children? Very good. Thank you. Uh, it's not so much about discipline, it's, and, and, and it's very important to draw the comparison here. And we're not talking about, um, you know, uh, preventing discipline. We're talking about abuse, physical abuse, psychological, psychological abuse, uh, sexual abuse, um, uh, and emotional abuse. And uh, uh, on the legal front, Solomon Islands has done remarkably well in the last few years in passing the Child and Fam Family Welfare Act, which uh, tries uh, to address issues related to violence against children, and uh, you know, addressing violence against children and and ending the violence against children is a multi-sectoral approach. It's not a one-size-fits-all, and it requires a whole-of-society approach across board because you do need to have uh, multiple actors in society within uh, um, the civil service, from government structures, from communities from um, uh, civil society and, uh, 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 and then of course communities and parents acting in concert to make sure that it ends. Uh, so on the legal front, uh, significant changes have happened in the last few years. The Child and Family Welfare Act came into play in 2017 uh, and its legislative instrument and its gazetting happened in September uh, 2022. Uh, and the arms of the government that should be providing that service are uh, getting in line and trying to work together to get, um, uh, uh, you know, on, on the ball in ending violence against children. But it is a difficult task uh, that requires engagement and investment in human resources, in logistics, and in also uh, engaging with communities for both prevention and uh, uh, and response activities. Speaking to that, I understand you've just completed a training um, in relation to this, but also uh, tell us a bit more about the the role UNICEF plays in in this multi-sectoral approach. Um, thank you, Corey. UNICEF plays a significant uh, part in the preparation and response we've been working with all our partners across board uh, towards the build-up uh, uh, where the law before the law was passed and post uh, the law uh, in being in supporting the implementation of it and the uh, the the part of the cycle of uh, services to end violence against children as Solomon uh, has been working specifically with is the social welfare division and the social welfare division is empowered by law to provide those services for children. Uh, uh, but as a service itself, the social welfare division, which sits within the Ministry of Health and Medical Services in Solomon Islands, is relatively speaking, poorly stocked in terms of human resources. They have very few uh, people who have to cater to the whole country. 
they also have significant challenges in terms of uh, the operational component, really, the, you know, the being able to get out to the communities to respond to calls. And I'll give you a good example. And, and there have been times where, you know, a child that was abused in one of the provinces in outer islands, uh, uh, the social welfare officers found it extremely difficult to get out there because the funding is not available. Uh, and so getting the flights out or the boats out there. And once they're out in the provinces, making sure they have access to the community, to the child, uh, in a comprehensive manner together with police and healthcare service providers uh, has proven extremely challenging. And UNICEF has been supporting that, uh, both in terms of providing uh, some funding for uh, these components, but also in providing training, capacity building for the social welfare officers in case management. Uh, and which brings me to the actual training that was uh, that you just referred to that we completed, was designed to address um, uh, skill sets uh, and enhance the skill sets of uh, social welfare officers in Solomon Islands on how to engage uh, uh, with case management when a case comes up. In other words, when a child is abused and there's a report that is that comes through to any of the chains, whether it's through the healthcare system or through the police, social welfare officers are required to respond in uh, a professional manner. And UNICEF has been providing uh, uh, training on uh, those uh, components, including uh, helping to create uh, a full understanding for a referral pathway from communities to the care providers. The Tawantala National Nepal side believes the experience of three key players named in their 15-member squad will boost the team's campaign at the 2023 Nepal World Cup in South Africa. Former Silver Fern Catherine Tuivaiti, former Australian rep Moonia Gerard, and former Australian Olympian Jessica Ngawamo have all been named in the Tala squad. Head coach Jaqua Pori Makia Simpson says the players will add leadership and knowledge to the team. RNZ Pacific senior sports journalist Eliasa Tora spoke with Jaqua on Tala's hopes and preparation. What is uh, probably your first comments on, on the team that has been named? Um, look, I think it's probably, we're excited, really excited. I don't think we could have pulled together a stronger squad than what we have. Um, it's an exciting time for the players that have been selected. Um, it's a fairly rigorous process. And, you know, we've been looking at players since World Cup qualifiers in July last year. And in actual fact, probably since we started forming our new Tala squad from March in 2022. So, you know, it's exciting for us to name 15 going to a World Cup and it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for them. There's been interest on the selection of uh, Kathy uh, Tuvati from uh, the Silver Ferns, uh, Monia Gerard and um, Jessica Ngawamo. In, in the in the 15, uh, what are you looking at, with uh, especially with uh, Kathy and, uh, and Monia, having that experience uh, previously with uh, New Zealand and, uh, and Australia? Yeah, well, I think that's a big part of it, isn't it? Um, you can't coach the experience that they have. Um, this is our first World Cup, and what they will bring to this group is 
leadership and knowledge experience that we didn't have, um, and there's real value in that. Um, you know, Kat has, um, she competed with us uh, at the Pacific Oz Sports Series in the Gold Coast uh, recently in April, and it was just incredible to have her as part of our group. Uh, Monia came into our selection camp for us uh, last month uh, in May and, and joined our group, and that was really, really exciting to have her with us. And, you know, she's uh, returned back to netball after having another baby, uh, and that's super exciting. Um, and her form is getting better and better and better, so we are extremely privileged to have them as part of our group. Uh, Jessica Ngawamo played beach volleyball, I believe, and then had some basketball and netball experience. What do you see her bringing into the team, uh? Yeah, Jessica um, comes with an enormous amount of experience uh, at an elite level. So, yes, she was formerly an Australian beach volleyball player um, and and the behaviours and her physical capacity to be ready for a World Cup is just outstanding Um, and we're excited to see what she does with this opportunity. Uh, This is not the first time Jessica has been with us. She was uh, with Vitala as a training partner also on the Gold Coast uh, in our series that we won there in April Um, and she's just getting stronger and stronger and better and better so we're excited to see what she can bring to the group. You have um, a preparation plan uh, moving the team forward to to the World Cup. Does that include matches? I believe there is um, a camp in New Zealand. Uh, Can you share that with us? Yeah, we do. We have a training camp uh, in New Zealand very soon, actually, at the end of this month. Um, And I'm super excited to get our 15 together and ready. Um, You know, and this is when we actually start preparing as a group and starting to get some of those connections, uh, working with each other. Um, There will be some matches included in that. But that's, that's just part of the preparation and us understanding and um, starting to get ready for July. Um, look, it's it's a really crucial time for us, um, and, and I'm super excited to get them together at the end of the month. You've you've named 15 players. Uh, do we know who are the um, the um, playing reserves from the 15? No, we actually don't. Um, myself and Bryony Akel, the specialist coach that we have for Tala. We were quite deliberate in selecting 15 at this stage. Um, that provides the players with extra opportunities to put their best foot forward, um, and it also gives us some time to be certain about the decisions that we're making. So we actually haven't selected our 12 plus 3 just yet. There were uh, members of Tala coming through from last year and this year who might have missed the selection for the, for the World Cup this time. Uh, what message can you give them? looking towards the Pacific Games and other commitments in, in future? Yeah, look, I think as a coach, that's the hardest thing to do, isn't it, is to uh, select your team. Um, I'm very open with my players, and I actually called every single one of them, um, even those that were not successful this time around. Um, and I think it's important to show them the respect to have that conversation instead of just publicly announce. So those calls were made to everybody prior to public announcement. You know, it's it's interesting because they Yes, there were a couple of players that have been with us previously that were unsuccessful this time. But in on the opposite side of that too, we've got players that are in this 15 that never made the selection for the World Cup qualifiers. And they've put the work in um, and they have done themselves very, very proud and have found themselves back in the mix. So it actually works both ways. Um, now, I have spoken to all of those players that haven't been selected, um, have given them feedback um, on why we have made the decisions that we did. Um, and 
it, it, this is just one opportunity. Look, it's not lost on me that it's a very big one. Well, it's probably the biggest. Um, but for those that probably aren't aware, every time our team have competed, there have been changes in my team every single time. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. You can also download us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts from. So for myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far so far.